Very quiet here. Welcome back there, uh, brother. Glenn. Glenn. Glad to see you. I've asked him to read a verse. This one, I just gave him another hard problem. I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> Teasing you. Listen, I need to say, first of all, I wasn't expecting this, uh, this um, appreciation thing. I know it is pastor appreciation, and uh, I'm very grateful, and thank you very much. And it made me think about something. First, thanks for the card, and I know every one of you signed it, right? Yeah, but um, when, when the announcement was made about my farewell, I mean, some of you may be like, yay. So here's my, my point was this. Um, don't feel any pressure that you have to give us anything. Um, the reason that I, I requested that kind of, I've kind of hinted like heavily. Uh, people sometimes give you pictures and plaques, and we've been downsizing for nine years. And I don't have any more room on my walls anywhere, and, um, and I don't need any more books because I'm literally trying to give books away. I've got like probably close to 2,000 books upstairs in the ministry house. You'd be, I should be embarrassed, actually. But, um, so I'm happy to have people go through the books and take whatever they might like. So feel free to wander through some time and grab as many as you like. They're only $2 each. And No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and uh, literally just have them. Some are going to go in the dumpster. I mean, the recycling bin. Everything's online these days, and so people don't buy books a lot. But if you're like me, I like having my hands on the little thing, right? Because you can always find, find things better that way. So, but that's all. No, I don't want anybody to feel pressured. We have been blessed here. Can, did everybody hear what I just said? We've been blessed, and uh, we're grateful. We praise the Lord, and we thank you. And uh, so, not necessary, but greatly appreciated as you see fit and as you're led. I don't want anybody to feel under duress. Is that clear? Am I being clear? Okay, good. Did I say that okay, honey? Oh, very good. I got it very good. Woo! Okay. Um, as we get started this morning, um, anybody aware there's a war on? Anybody aware there's a war on? I'm not talking about Afghanistan. I'm not even talking about the cultural rift in America and our, uh, and our leaders having trouble getting on the same page about anything. It's not what I'm talking about. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, there's a spiritual war on. Satan has every intention of dragging as many souls into hell for eternity as he possibly can. I think in his sick way he thinks if he can drag enough, maybe God will change his mind about everything. But God can't change his mind about it because spiritual reality, sin, heaven, hell, and all of that, and the atonement are absolutely unchangeable. We're actually fighting against, when we don't like it, we're actually fighting against reality, not just a spiritual opinion. We're fighting against reality. Anyway, all that to say, I have felt it a little bit, and I would like uh, three people, I'd do this once in a while, to lead us in prayer that we might this morning have help from the Spirit, the pushback against our adversary who has a vested interest in making sure whatever is said out of this book, which I don't have here, isn't that embarrassing? But it will be on the screen. Uh, that it doesn't go in one ear and out the other. 
that it resonates and settles down in our souls, and, uh, and that harmony rises up and becomes a spiritual entity that bears much fruit. Amen? So can I have three volunteers? And my man is ready with a microphone. He didn't know I was doing that. You had a suspicion, you sneaky, you sneaky guy. Right here, I've got one. Ted, Teddy, where, where? I want to put my intern to work. Where'd he go? Ben, you're on, and then I'll close. Don't you love that? Volunteerism, you. Thanks, Teddy. And we want to agree together, God, you are glorious, you are worthy, as we have sung this morning. I hope, Lord, many of your saints got a little bit of a glimpse into the glory, maybe looking. I, I always, in my mind, imagine the lamb who was slain seated on the throne at the right hand of the majesty on high. And Lord, when I, when I use the term, the lamb, it breaks me. The lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. It wasn't us. It wasn't you that got us into this mess. It was us. There had to be a lamb because of us. And even though the world and even many of your children love to blame you with how rotten all your decisions are, Thank you that that ultimate decision was settled. You decided from eternity past to send the Lamb of God into the world to rescue us. So the greatest gift we could possibly have is eternity with you, and we don't deserve it, but we're grateful. That's a huge gift. If there was nothing else, if the rest of our lives stank, it would be great. But you go way beyond that. In your many kindnesses and in your providence, and even in what we're talking about today, in your engaging us in your great purposes, what a privilege. We thank you, God. Today we plead the authority of the name, which is above every name, the name of Jesus, the authority and the victory of his shed blood, his death, burial, his resurrection, to push back against our adversary who would put us to sleep if possible. Help us. And we need that working of your spirit as we have been praying after church on Sundays to go in front of us. So when we put our hand to things, when we give people T-shirts or whatever it is, your spirit would follow us and then jump on those people and bring them to yourself. Because that's why we're still here. Help us, we pray. Give us understanding today. Help your servant with as many shortcomings Manifest his gift, make it work, help us to learn. We'll be grateful and thankful in the great name of Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay. So thank you, thank you, elders, and thank you, church. Thank you for your love, and it's right back at you. Okay? Are you guys okay today? We need to turn the AC up, <laughs> liven things up a bit. <laughs> okay. So what I want to do just before I get into the real meat today, um, I want to look back at last week because actually I got two questions from last week. It was the same question from two different people. And if you have your bulletin, and I hope you do, there's an insert in there. I'm not necessarily going to do this every week, but I stuck something in there on purpose because somebody asked me 
um, what are the essentials? Remember last week I said, what are the essentials? So what I'd like to do is let me, let me give you the intro to where I'm going today. We're doing a series for the next four weeks on spiritual gifts, which many churches have never had any teaching on. Maybe this one too, I don't know. But um, I get nervous because on the one hand, it might seem very didactic. You know what that means? It's the Greek word for teaching, didactic. It's just boring. Point one, point two, point three, point... <sighs> and then I like to be hortative. Hortative, that's the word for exhortation. I almost never preach without a little exhortation. You may have noticed. Just, just a, a little. Just, just a little exhortation. But you'll find a little bit of both in this today, but there's a risk. So I want to talk about the meaning of gifts. And I'm going to mention what I just referred to, if I could put my title up there, uh, the meaning of gifts. And I stole it. That's why it's got an asterisk. I steal all the time because that's what preachers do. As long as you acknowledge you stole it, you're off the hook. So I acknowledged it. The meaning of gifts, a primer. But I stole it from this book, Tournier. I've used him before. I've quoted him before. Christian psychologist, I believe. Very tender writer. He's got a wonderful way about him. Got turned on to him back when I was in seminary. I was taking care of a man with Parkinson's, helping his wife. And she had this set of books and loved it and gave it to me. And that meant something. The meaning of gifts. That it actually means something, right? So The Meaning of Gifts by Paul Tournier. And uh, I stole it. We're not going to talk about that in general, but there is a a connection with our series. But in introducing our text, which is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13, if you have your Bible, you're open there already probably, I want to follow up on that thing that we talked about last week by using the verses that lead into verses 7 through 13, which would, of course, be verses 4 through 6. That's hard, right? So here it is. Verses 4 through 6 introduces the subject of spiritual gifts. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I think you recognize it, right? It's a description of the church, the universal church, All the saints, anybody in this room who has put their trust in Christ, it doesn't matter whether you're a member of this church or not, if you have Christ in your life and his spirit indwells you, you're part of the universal church. doesn't matter what the denominational stripe is. Everybody with that? Some of us, I I have a great poem, but I'm going to save it for another time, you know, about who we didn't expect to see in heaven, you know. It's a great poem at the end. They go, we didn't expect to see you either. But anyway, uh, but they're from, you know, they're from this church. They're from the Roman Catholic Church. They're from that church. They're from, how could they possibly? Oh, my goodness. Really? We sometimes get that wrong. So if you have this little sheet, this gives you a little synopsis of fundamentals that are non-negotiable. If you are an evangelical, and that simply means you believe, I'm going to show you which point in here. Uh, it's uh, the middle, right in the middle of the page. We believe for the salvation of the lost and sinful people. Who are lost and sinful people? Hey, you got that one right. Everybody passed. For the lost of salvation, a salvation of the lost and sinful people, regeneration by the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. 
right? So not just since the Reformation, although that was huge, you know, Luther discovered the just shall live by faith. Holy mackerel. The lights came on, right? But it has happened all through the history of the church. There have been waves of revival bringing people into that living relationship. Whether they use the terms being born again or not, they have come to personal faith. And whoever they are, they're part of that heavenly kingdom that we were singing about one day. We're all going to be together. All right, so here it is, very briefly. Look at how simple this is. The Bible is our source, the inspired word of God. You've got to park there, you get in real big trouble. Right? It is unique from Old Testament and New. Both, both uh, Old and New Testaments testify to the authority and infallibility of the Word of God. We believe that there is one God, eternally existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what's unique. That's why cults got off in the weeds, right? Because they don't believe that there's this triune God. We can't understand that mystery, therefore it can't be true. No, that's not how it works. God doesn't jump through your hoop. Number three, we believe in the deity of Jesus, everything about him, God, man coming into the world, saving us, his atoning death, etc. The fact that he's dead, buried, resurrected, coming again, all of that is true. And then right in the middle, we already mentioned regeneration, that's what evangelicals, but all those who affirm these things would also be counted as orthodox. We believe the present ministry of the Holy Spirit by those indwelling, uh, by whose indwelling the Christians enable to live the, a godly life. We believe in the resurrection of both the saved and the lost. They that are saved unto the resurrection of life. They that are lost unto the resurrection of damnation. There are some evangelicals who would park on, um, what's the word? Annihilationism, that you, you suffer for a while and then no more. I wouldn't count them outside the pale of orthodoxy, although it's this way, you know, but that's it. And then we believe in the spiritual unity of believers in our Lord Jesus, the church universal. That They didn't use the word church. I don't know why, but that's what it is. Pretty much that's fundamental orthodoxy, which means do the math. Everything else, everything else, like how you do church and your church structure and baptism and when it happens and your view on spiritual gifts and your view on politics or what, that's all outside of the essentials, which means we can agree to disagree. Christians don't do very well at that, do they? And that's why I wanted to put up Rupert's quote again. Him. In essentials, unity. That's these. I can work alongside any stripe believer to evangelize, to bring people into the kingdom, to do social action work, whatever it might be. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. Which means other churches are not to be condemned by my fellow... In other words, I don't condemn other churches. You may have noticed that. I don't pick on a lot of churches. In eight years, you have not heard me condemn... Unless it's a clear heresy. Unless it's totally wrong. Do I agree with everything they might do or how they practice church? No, I have my opinion, which is why denominations exist. We think this is what the Bible says. So do it that way. Leave everybody else alone. Don't you remember Jesus? His disciples say, that guy over there, he's casting out demons. He's not doing it the way we were trained. And Jesus said, oh yeah, go kick him out of the church. No, he said, mind your own business, follow me. Let him alone. 
If he's using my name to cast out demons, he's probably not going to diss me next week. Who has more fun than people, my wife always says. All right. What else? Oh, in all things, charity, love. In all things, be loving and gracious to our brothers and sisters. So that's a little background just to put that out there so that we're aware. Is that clear enough? We all need to practice learning how to change our thinking about stuff that's outside the absolute essentials. And the subject we're talking about today for the next four weeks is one of those. So I'll meddle a little later, okay? So this is, uh, speaking of gifts, a primer, especially for the little flock at Harmony. You can tuck this stuff away and use it. Um, I've, I've given you a whole bunch of places to write notes on your bulletin, a little fill-ins there, and uh, we'll talk about it. Last week, we, we uh, had a question about people having a wrong view of forgiveness, and I'm really glad I stopped and answered your question. And so today, again, I appreciate questions. I, I am not offended interrupting my sermon, unless I'm mad. But no, no. And uh, giving, uh, giving answers that help scratch where we're itching. So let's talk about gifts, if I could. Let me put my little picture up there. There it is. It's a gift. Isn't that nice? Yeah, I feel it. Uh, what do you want to do with that? I mean, it's a picture, I know. I mean, imagine if it's in front of you. Yeah, you want to open it, right? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the tone a little bit by speaking about somebody in my family. Not my wife. No, we had a relative. Um, we had a relative that was one of those people that has everything they could possibly want. So what do you get them for Christmas? Oh, I hear the groans there. Right? What do you do? And if you try to put some energy into it and think about it and try to get something that they might appreciate, you know, you're happy if you can actually come up with that. And so um, this particular person, we, uh, they're all gone now. Uh, they've departed this life, and I had to clean out uh, the estate. And when we went down the basement, which was kind of like the crypt where nobody had ever been, hardly, we found all of our gifts still wrapped or in the boxes they came in. <clears throat> right? You know what I mean? This is the only thing I'm going to read from this book, The Meaning of Gifts by Turnier. But it was a very enlightening little comment. The highest sign of friendship is that of giving another the privilege of sharing your inner thoughts that you draw close. Thus to give, and here's what he says, it is a personal gift in which there is self-commitment. Thus to give is to signify one's self-commitment, that I care, that it matters. The gift with, which really means something is the one which shows personal relationship and careful choosing. 
It's the one in which the giver both reveals his innermost taste and senses the taste of the one for whom he is purchasing it. So again, it signifies self-commitment. Tuck that away. Because if anybody has testified to their self-commitment, it's God who loves us and has given gifts to us. And so they're not to be stuck in the basement, unwrapped. Yikes! So, let's get into it, okay? Speaking of gifts, let's look at the first text, and my introduction for this whole series is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13. This is in two parts here. To each one of us, grace was given. The word grace can be translated as gifts in other places, charismata from the Greek word charis, a gift, all right, grace, a grace gift would be the proper translation. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the... Keep your belt on. Hold on. Okay, I'm going to explain this very quickly because you're going like, what? It's like all over the place, right? He who descended is himself. Also, he who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So, Paul is quoting something from the Old Testament, Psalm 68, 18. It's a psalm of this kind of uh, victory, if you will. And it probably relates to David when he conquered the Jebusite stronghold that became the city of Jerusalem, Zion. They couldn't drive out. Those children of Israel could not drive out the Jebusites, but he finally captures it. And if you know anything about David's history, when he had great victories, he gave gifts to his men. He was generous. When he had his big installation service, hint, hint, um, he, he gave out gifts. No, that's backwards. You, no, anyway, so, but he did. And so I think there's a reference to that kind of victory. And what it's describing is that Jesus, the Son of God, descended into the earth, paid for the sins of man, was resurrected after his death, ascends to heaven, and he brings all of this victory with him and extends and pours out gifts upon his church. Now, what does it mean, ascended and descended? We don't have time. Some people think he actually went to hell. The text does not demand that specifically in terms of preaching to the lost souls in hell and all of that. It doesn't. It could just be his humiliation of becoming man. There are several possibilities. That's one of those areas in all things charity, right? It's outside the exact clarification. But now this text goes on, and here's what it says. Here's some of the gifts that he gave to men. And he's talking about leaders who are gifted in certain ways, and they become officers and leaders in the building of the church. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Those of you who have been taught in the past, you know that it's probably pastor hyphen teacher. Although we're not totally sure on that either. The word teacher is didaskalos, it's that teaching gift, and it became an official office in churches, right? In the New Testament days, there, was a, there were teachers in the church, and there were prophets in the church, and there were pastors. 
for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Wow, that's a mouthful. So let's net it down. There are four gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teachers. Why are they given? Very simple, that we grow up. How else would you put it? That we grow up, that we become mature followers, the building up of the body of Christ. They are equipping of the saints. I'm going to unpack both these words and building up the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is the church of the Lord Jesus. So here's the offices. This is all we're going to do about this this week. Apostle is a sent one. Now, we, we park on that and think, oh, the 12 apostles. Well, yes, it's them, but it's used beyond them. It is really technically the sent one, the delegate, uh, like an ambassador, an emissary. It's the missionary gift. It's the church planting, going out into the world and making footholds for the kingdom type of gift. So that's what's involved with the apostle. And there's more to it in terms of establishing the right doctrine in those churches and the right practices, whatever. Prophets, we're going to unpack because it comes up in almost every list. We'll look at that later. But let me give you the high-level high pass. They're foretellers and they're foretellers. In the Bible, they're foretellers. They tell the future at times, and they're foretellers. They put out the, the word with authority, with conviction, whatever it might be, and they also sometimes know something. There's something kind of mystical about this when they know the future. Let me give you the best story I know. Jesus meets that woman at the well. Remember her? She's in the movie The Chosen, so if you don't read your Bible, at least watch the show. And he meets, he meets her, and she's got a sordid past. Everybody remember? The Samaritan woman. And he goes, why don't you call your husband? She says, I don't have one. He says, you're right. You've had this many. And da-da-da-da-da-da. And all of a sudden, she says, oh, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Give me some theological training here. Changes the subject. But the point is, I perceive you're a... How did you know that? Because prophets are creepy that way. This one I know from experience. But anyway, next one, evangelist. He's a good newser. That's what the Greek word means. Evangelion, right? The evangel. We sing it in our Christmas stories. The good newser, the good news teller, who is basically one who is a soul winner. And God gives that kind of a gifted person to churches to build up the church. Which way? Physically. That's his thing. A good news or a soul winner. Some of my study on this subject, which has been kind of extensive, and I can only give you a high-level survey, even in the next four weeks, you can't possibly exhaust the subject. Some, some uh, uh, strategists and scholars on the subject say that God usually places at least one in every ten church members the gift of evangelism. And we're going to seek you out. And, but anyway, think about that, one in ten. And then pastor, teacher. Pastor, shepherd, it's the word shepherd for a flock, and we need shepherds. And there's no gender attached to that, by the way. 
and a pastor and shepherd and teacher, which connects to the old, the old concept, the Old Testament into the New Testament of rabbi, great one, instructor, honored doctors in seminaries. You know, the, the, you good doctors teach us this, blah, blah, blah. They're well-trained and they are gifted rabbis. That was um, Nicodemus in The Chosen, right? He's a rabbi, that kind of instructor. So the church had those as well. Why does he give it to us? Well, we're going to talk about that in a second. Let me first give you a very basic definition. I've got one, two, three, at least three books, and I have other paperworks on this. Uh, there's so much stuff written, not super tonnage, but quite a bit. And uh, I'll tell you which ones I think are the best, but way back... Glenn, I'm really glad you're here today. You have no idea. Glenn's mother was secretary to the author of this book, Leslie B. Flynn, pastor down at Nanuet Conservative Baptist Church. He wrote this really good book called 19 Gifts of the Spirit. If you can't trust a conservative Baptist, who can you trust? <sighs> anyway... And one of the things I admired about him, that was back when, and I, we're going to have to talk about back when certain spiritual gifts were causing all kinds of trouble in churches. Everybody remember? And he at least had the courage to address some of it. Which I said, good for him, right? One of my bros here. Anyway, 19 gifts of the Spirit. He gives this definition of a spiritual gift. Very simple. A Spirit-given ability for Christian service. Did you catch that? A spirit-given ability for Christian service. If you start to do the math, you realize that before you're born again, you don't have that. Oh, I have this ability. That's nice, but that's not necessarily a spiritual gift. Although, we'll talk a little more about that later. So I am going to agitate the troops a bit, make you think, stuff like that. Here's another definition from what I consider the best book on the subject couple of things in it I don't agree with, but overall it is a very good, careful study of the meaning of the words, which we'll try to unpack a few of them, and, um, and understanding gifts in general. I'll quote from this one or two times as well. Spiritual Gifts by Robert J. J. Robert Clinton, who's also written on mentoring and church growth and all kinds of things. He's a big name in his circles. Here's his definition of a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is a unique capacity given by the Holy Spirit, given to each believer for service in connection with the church to cause the church to progress. To cause the church to progress. It's not for our entertainment. In fact, that's the cool thing about spiritual gifts. God gives you this gift. It's a personal thing. It connects. It's important, like Turnier said. He knows who we are, and he gives us this gift. It's a communication of his love for us, but it's not for you to sit on it. It's for the edification of everybody else. Wow, what a drag, man. I like gifts I can play with all by myself. <laughs> to cause the church to progress, and here's the ticket qualitatively, quantitatively, and organically. What does that mean? Quantitative is obvious, right? The evangelist is on the front line, but not him by himself. The church is working, sharing the good news. People get drawn into the kingdom. Okay? 
The second thing is building up the saints so that they mature and they look. In fact, we already read it, didn't we? That we grow up and we become Christ-like. Anybody have more work to do in that regard? Thank you, Ben. He's pointing at me. No, he's raising his hand. We all do. That we might become mature, Christ-like, winsome the way he is. You know, I, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is, Dennis, I know you'll appreciate that over in your house. I'm encouraging you to watch The Chosen in these small groups because one thing about Jesus in this film, he's winsome. Isn't he great? They did, I think they captured how he really was. I really do. And anyway, so quantitatively, qualitatively maturing, and then organically, because we can all grow together as saints, but we need to learn to work together and become a well-oiled machine like we often talk about, right? Our worships are well-oiled machines. Mike is grinning. Well, he's no, he's not grinning. He's, I just really made him mad, but anyway. There you go, okay? So it's three ways that the church develops. As the church develops organically, it formulates and sets apart missionaries, etc. We send the gospel around the world. We try to reach the poor. We try to do this or that. That comes out of organic development, and there are gifts assigned for that. Apostle is one of them. Building up the, prophet, uh, the saints to be Christ-like is a prophetic gift and pastor-shepherding gift. And the, and the evangelist is for the numerical growth dimension. So, these gifts are endowments, graces, that have been given to every true believer. So, what's the purpose? Building us up. Perfecting. The two words that are used in the text we looked at are perfecting the saints and, your old King James said, edifying. Those two words mean this. One, perfecting is adjusting, equipping, training, making adequate. In fact, it's related to the word for mending nets. Mending. We need mending, don't we? It's related. It's not the same exact word. But it's saying we're equipping, we're making it ready, we're repairing things, we're setting things in order so that we're functioning together as a team. And then edifying is the word for building a building. One block upon the other. Building it up. Clinton uses this phrase that all of our gifts, or this word, are reciprocal. There's a reciprocal. Thank you. That's the way you say it. Reciprocity. See, I know how to do that as long as I'm not up in front of everybody getting nervous. Reciprocity. Thank you. So we have gifts that God gives us to get something done. Any Harry Potter fans here? Oh, I know. That's non-Christian. I get it. Oh, yeah. but It's the classic war between good and evil. Potter has an invisibility cloak. A gift that he can use. I also remember a Clash of the Titans. I think it was Perseus, right? He's given a shield, his magical shield. These gifts are given to people by the gods, right? So that I can accomplish this task that the gods have set in front of me. I'm not left on my own. He gives us something to help us do it. The saints are called a priesthood of believers, right? Right? Wow, you got me worried today, really. It's a priesthood of believers. He doesn't leave us without equipment to accomplish the priesthood. There's a lot of stuff we don't totally know. 
So your next fill-in section here talks about, if I can find, let me just pull this out. There we go. How many? What are the, what are the categories of spiritual gifts? Here's some text we'll be looking at in the week's ahead. This one we can probably dispatch pretty quickly. We put up 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. I got one amen out of that. Thank you, that's two. Really, think about it. What is the chief end of man, the reformers say? We don't really, do we really think about that? Does it matter that he is glorified? If I utilize my speaking gifts or my serving gifts, that's the smallest cluster you can get is speaking gifts and serving gifts when you talk about spiritual gifts. I think there's at least three. Flynn uses this phrase. I agree with it. Speaking gifts, serving gifts, and signifying gifts. There are gifts that signify there's something weird going on here. I'm just going to use the word weird for supernatural. There's something uncanny. There's that prophet who knew about my history with no one ever telling him. That's weird because it's signifying you're dealing with God here. Oh, yes, which means... All of those verses in 1 Corinthians we're going to have to talk about. Uh-oh. Stop laughing. <laughs> I want to quote a famous British preacher, if I might. Let's see. The answer to misuse, Derek Balaam, famous preacher. The answer to misuse is not disuse. It's proper use. Do you hear what I said? The answer to misuse is not disuse, it's proper use. One of the reasons I brought up this whole thing of what, what, is, what is fundamental, what, is, what are fundamentals in Christianity is we confuse so many things. For example, I'm sure that there are people in the room who are absolutely sure that Baptists absolutely do not believe in tongue speaking. They're totally not connected. It's irrelevant. It has nothing to do with being a Baptist. Did you know that? Or those of you who are sure, all Baptists believe that the second coming is premillennial or pre-tribulational. If that was true, the prince of Baptist preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my heroes, is not a Baptist. He was an amillennialist. <gasps> and most of us don't even know what I'm talking about, but that's okay. You see what I'm saying? We take our culture and we baptize it and we think we're right about everything. Oh, boy, is right. Is anything, anything registering? Are we okay? Because I'm running out of time. I'm just going to stop. There may be fluid categories. We don't know. Uh, some gifts come upon people temporarily, we think. We don't know. 
Some things are obviously the gift that God has given us for every believer is a permanent gift that he expects us to use. So there are some unknowns about spiritual gifts. Nobody has all the answers. I'm about the closest person I know to having all the answers on this. But that is a joke, and if you are offended at that, you need prayer. But anyway, natural talents. Let's look at a couple of unknowns, all right? Things that people get confused on. Confusions, unknowns. People confuse natural talents with their spiritual gifts. Those are two different things, completely different things, okay? So I have a natural talent to do something. I'm geometrically gifted. I can see things in shapes, okay? So it helps me when I gamble on the pool table. You know what I mean? I win. No, I'm kidding. I don't do that. But the point is, a natural talent, it's not the same as a spiritual gift. Could they over, uh, could, could a natural talent be overtaken by a spiritual inclination and turned into that direction? Yes, I think it could. How about the second one? The fruit of the Spirit is not. There's a difference. I'm going to read to you from um, uh, Bobby Clinton in a second, then I got a great story from Les Flynn. Maybe I'll end with that so that we're not overdone here. Fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, do you know that the word, the fruit of the Spirit, this is, um, I put the reference down, we're not going to look at it, but um, in Galatians chapter 5, right, the description of the fruit of the Spirit is there. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, meekness, That stuff, that's really one fruit. Did you know that? That is a description. The multi, it's like if you have an apple in your hand, you can describe it as red, hard-skinned, white inside, the meat of it, seeded. It's got a core that has to be, that's all a description of one apple. The fruit of the Spirit is a description of, guess who? Jesus manifested in his people. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That has everything to do with your sanctification. See what I'm saying? The Holy Spirit's gifting also has something to do with your sanctification, but it's not exactly the same. Let me see if I can find what I'm looking for. Here it is. Here's the distinction. Gifts of the Spirit related primarily to the collective body of believers because it's for everybody to benefit. The fruit of the Spirit is related primarily to the individual believers in the body. The individual. Related to ministry, that's a gift. Related to character, that's the fruit. May be classified in orders of importance. Do you know when you read 1 Corinthians, it says in the church, first this gift, then that gift, then this gift, then that gift. There's an order of priority. When it comes to the Holy Spirit's personality coming out, they're all equally important. I want to be long-suffering, but I don't want to love anybody. Can't do it. Doesn't work. They may be exercised, the gifts may be exercised in such a manner as to offend others and cause discord and division in the body. Duh. The fruit of the Spirit can never be misused. It's always going to bear good fruit. It's always positive. Normally, no single believer receives all the gifts. Anybody ever run into that? Oh, I've got great stories. Wish I had all the gifts. 
because I'd already be exhausted and dead in, in the presence of Jesus and much happier. But anyway, every believer, however, may bear all the fruit that we're talking about all the time. And no gift can be demanded of all believers. In other words, it's wrong to say you have to manifest this gift. It does happen. Those are my brothers and sisters in other churches. That's an area we can agree to disagree, and we're going to maintain charity, but that is biblically wrong. And then third, lastly, all of us can be commanded to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Duh. Okay, so there's a difference between those two things. Talents, fruit, Here's Les Flynn's missionary story. I love this on the subject of fruit. This is really fun. You ready? This guy was a pretty good preacher, you know, Glenn. Just five o'clock, one so snowy morning, a missionary. I want you to put yourself in this guy's shoes for a minute. Let's say you really are excited for Jesus and you want to apply to a mission organization. And this is you. Five o'clock one snowy morning, a missionary candidate ran the, rang the bell at the address of the missionary examiner's home. He was ushered into the office where he sat till eight o'clock for an interview. The examiner, a retired missionary, began his interrogation. Can you spell? Rather mystified, the candidate answered, yes, sir. All right, spell Baker. Baker, B-A-K-E-R, fine. Now, do you know anything about numbers, the examiner asked. Uh, yes, or something. Please add two and two. Four, replied the candidate. That's fine, commented the examiner. I believe you have passed. I'll tell the board tomorrow. The board meeting, the examiner reported on the interview, he has all the qualifications of a missionary. First, I tested him on self-denial, making him arrive at my house at 5 a.m. He left a warm bed and came out in the snow without any complaint. Second, I tested him on promptness. He arrived on time. Third, I examined him on patience. I made him wait three hours to see me. Fourth, I tested him on temper. He failed to show any sign of aggravation or anger at the delay. Fifth, I tried his humility by asking him questions that a seven-year-old child could answer, and he showed no indignation. So, you see, I believe the candidate meets the requirements. He will be the missionary we need. That's the fruit of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. It's a great story and different from gifts. And then the last thing that are unknowns, and I'm going to end with this, is how many gifts are there? Now, Bobby Clinton and Les Flynn agree on 19, so I think that's right. But we don't totally know. We don't totally know. And um, my pastor that I first started ministry working under was working on a gift on spiritual gifts. And uh, he really was quite knowledgeable. He had 18. Les has 19. Bobby Clinton has 19. This gentleman here named Charles Bryant has 32 gifts. And just to encourage you to come back for more, hopefully this will seem kind of funny to you too. I got a kick out of this. There are some gifts that are called spiritual gifts in the scripture that we may not want. Bobby Clinton, uh, Mr. Bryant uh, includes, Bryant, quite a few of them, like suffering. Who wants that gift? I don't think that's a gift. But, I mean, God can use it like that. 
I think this one is hospitality. There are people who do have that inclination. He's got the word prayer language as an opposite of tongues, let's say. That wouldn't be accurate in my mind and interpretation. Here's a gift, celibacy. Nobody wants that gift. But it is described as such in the scripture. And this one I'm not sure about, martyrdom. Anybody want the gift of martyrdom? The problem with that gift, you only get to use it one time. <laughs> you, might, you might get close on an occasion, but only once. Please give me that gift. He's got a gift of poverty here. I think that's giving. And here's the one I got the biggest kick out of, the gift of humor. I have that gift, I know. Except I'm not sure that that's really a spiritual gift. So he's got a huge list of 32. And uh, I think the biblical account is a little less than that. But all of it has something for us to learn and to put to use. Okay? I had a whole lot of exhortation at the end. I'm going to have to save it for next week. Okay? Our time is up. Let's pray. <clears throat> Problem with this subject, God, is we're just barely going to scratch the surface. And we're going to be on Halloween Sunday. And we will feel like we've barely scratched the surface. But I do pray, Lord, that the gifts that you have given us, we would start to get an inkling and that we would not leave them wrapped up in our basement. But rather, we will find that it's extremely stimulating to start to discover and utilize what you have lovingly given us. And that we would start to bear good fruit by using it. Help us as a congregation. Help the little flock, God to grasp and to grow. In the great name of Jesus, we pray, and all of God's people said, amen. God bless you, and off you go.